We're going to continue today our series on forgiveness. I think every time I've talked about forgiveness, uh, whether it be a series, whether it be an individual message, I always find a way to wrap Joseph in there. Joseph, Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. His story is told in the, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapters 37 to 50. I mean, one of our biggest books, and the bulk of that book is, is about Joseph's life, and it is one of the most inspiring stories of forgiveness there is. I'm overwhelmed by the number of people he forgives. I'm overwhelmed by the depth of the offenses against him that he forgives. And and folks, to be honest, this might sound strange. I'm overwhelmed how he holds on to God through it all. I I mean, if, if we're honest, the deeper the pain, the longer it goes on, the greater our propensity to turn that toward God. And boy, he never did that, at least that, that we can see anywhere in that story. Let me tell you his story real quickly uh, and just kind of get the, the Reader's Digest version of that. Uh, Joseph, God, God comes to Joseph in a dream to reveal to him that he's going to be this great leader. And he, and he does that when Joseph is 17 years old. Now, what happens next, and I know many of you are familiar with this story, is anything but his rocket to the top. It's anything but his ascent into leadership. Joseph has 10 older brothers who hate him. And if you read the story, and I encourage you to do that, there's a little bit of reason for that. Joseph gets some of that fairly. But they're just crazy jealous of of Joseph. And uh, one day they see Joseph coming from a distance. And folks, they really, they pick up almost a a mob-like mentality. And uh, and they're going to kill him. I mean, they're going to physically, with their hands, beat him to death. One brother, one brother out of the ten says, now let's just beat the fool out of him. But I don't know, maybe murder? Maybe murder's a little too far? And and, and this one brother backs them down. and, And so they do the much kinder, gentler thing. They sell him into slavery. Now, how do you... How do you even begin to process that? And I, you know what? I fear some of you can. But, but how do you even begin to, to process that kind of betrayal in, in, inside your own home? Well, it, it, when you read the story of Joseph's life, you realize this cat has a little ability to land on his feet. And obviously, that's not, slavery is not a context he wants to be in. But in the, in the context of where he is, and he, he is sold into Egypt, he ends up with this master. And you know what? He ends up in charge of everything. This, this master sees, man, everything Joseph touches, everything Joseph does tur- turns to gold. And so before long, th- Joseph is running this guy's household affairs. He's running this guy's business affairs. He's running everything. And in doing that, he catches the eye of his master's wife. And she makes a play for him. And he resists that again and again <laughs> You know, and she becomes a, a woman scorned and gets a little irate with that. And she falsely accuses him of raping her. And, and then he's imprisoned. Now, now think how his life, remember, he's been told by God, boy, I'm going to use you in this great way. You're going to be this great leader. And, and then he's sold into slavery. And now he lands in prison. All, all Joseph is doing is trying to trust the Lord. He's just trying to obey the Lord. And man, things just keep getting worse. But, but here again, Joseph lands on his feet, and, and this has got to be a first. Uh, the warden turns the prison over to Joseph. I, prisoner running the prison. 
And, and, and that's what you've got happening. And, and of course, in that, Joseph gets to know all the prisoners and they get to know him. Well, there's these two prisoners. As a matter of fact, they've just come off of Pharaoh's court. These, these are high governing officials that have been imprisoned. We don't know why that happened, but they've got this thing. They need some help, some insight, some interpretation, some wisdom. And, and they go to Joseph and, and Joseph lays it out for him and he's, he's dead on right. And for one of them, that means he ends up getting out of prison. And Joseph says what I imagine a lot of prisoners have said sometime in life. Hey, man, when you get out of here, say something to the Pharaoh for me. Man, speak on my behalf. Get me out of here. You know what happens next? It says the guy gets out and he forgets. You feel forgotten today? Feel lonely today? You know, I bet when you're sitting in prison, you got a lot of time to think about the wrong that's been done to you. And folks, this has gone on for a long time. This little story I just told you very quickly, this didn't happen over a year. You know, boy, 2013 was a horrible year for Joseph. No, that little story I just told you took place over 13 years. 13 years, falsely accused, betrayal, sold into slavery, forgotten, imprisoned. He's got all that going on. And yet now he's right in the spot where God's going to do what God's going to do with him next. And boy, to tell the story quickly, he literally goes from that spot in prison. I, I, how can something happen this fast? From that spot in prison to being the second most powerful person in the world. Yeah, actually the world. He becomes second in command over Egypt, right under the Pharaoh. But at this time in history, Egypt's about the most dominant nation in the world. And so you can say, Joseph's the second most powerful in the world, and he might actually be the first most powerful. Because Pharaoh's answer to everything is, go ask Joseph, whatever he says. And it's at this moment that the brothers come walking back into his life. Now, they don't know who he is. They, they, they don't know what has happened in his life. Obviously, they're going to assume if he's even still alive, they're going to assume he's in, in, in slavery somewhere, not, not this person. And they, they come walking back into his life. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. You, you almost wonder, has there ever been anybody in, in human history that has been better positioned to get revenge? He can do whatever he wants. He has all the power, all the authority. He has all the means. He can get revenge any way he wants. And you know what he does? He forgives them. He forgives them. They ask when they realize who he is and what's going on. They, they kind of ask forgiveness, but not really. You know what they say? And you and I would probably do the same thing because we're going to be scared to death now, right? At who Joseph has become and who he is. And, and, and you know what they say to Joseph? Hey, Hey, Joseph, uh, d d Dad said you should forgive us. <laughs> That's not humility, is it? That's not repentance. And yet, look what he says to him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, you know, as for you guys, what you meant against me was evil. But God meant it for good. So, don't fear. I will provide for you. Did, you. did you notice why he forgave? He didn't forgive him because everything had worked out. Hey, whether everything works out or not, the wrong they did, the evil they did, and did you notice what he called it? He called it evil. He didn't say, ah, oh, you know, I know it was a bad day. I know y'all made... Hey, what you did was evil. 
But he didn't forgive him because, you know, it all worked out in the end. He didn't forgive him because it was no big deal. No, it was evil. But no matter how much evil somebody does, it's not greater than the good God can do. No matter what kind of control you might look to have over my life, it's not greater than the control God has over my life. And so Joseph did this crazy thing. He forgave them. You know what, folks? I think Joseph actually believed. He obeyed God because he actually believed in God and believed what God called him to do. And he forgave him. And that's the same command of God on your life. It's the same command of God on, on my life. As we saw last week, as followers of Christ, we are to be a people of forgiveness. What, whatever questions that brings, whatever challenges, whatever the, the variables are, whatever the evil is out there, that's who we are. It's what we do. It's our work. It is to forgive. And today what we're going to try to do, last week we saw that big command and, and why. Today we're going to kind of look at that practically and see how do we do that. We're going to try to get some, some operating principles, obviously in a room this size. Yeah, I wonder how much evil has been dealt out just in this room right here. What kind of wrongs have we lived through? What, what kind of offenses from others have we endured? Obviously, I can't address all of that. We can't address every situation that, that somebody's been through. But what we can do, what the Scripture is going to give us today, is absolutely a direction, some operating principles for handling that. And so I thought what I'd do this morning is start with, this is, I wouldn't call it a summary of last week, but it's a little bit going back to last week and, and just getting our motivation, if you will. Why are we to forgive? Why, why are we to do that? And I'm going to give you two reasons, two simple reasons. Number one, we're commanded. Now, could we not potentially just say, amen, let's go home? I mean, after we say God has commanded us to do this, I'm sorry if that's bad. I'm sorry if that's hard. But what is there left to discuss? God has commanded us to forgive. Period. Now, when he says that, he doesn't just divvy it out. Hey, this is, this is one of the hoops you have to jump through to get into heaven. Hey, I'm trying to make it hard to win the big award. So this is one of the hard... No, he, he's got a little bit better motivation than that. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you and me. We saw that last week. We forgive because we've been forgiven. God's not asking us to do something for others that we ourselves don't need. He's not asking us to give something that he has not had to do and that he's not given to us. And, and, and folks, if we hear that, if we respond to that and say, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I'm sorry. It's, it's hard. I'm not going to do it. I, you know, at that point, I would refer you to last week. I, I would refer you to Matthew 18, 21 to 35, 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Man, when we say, no, I'm not going to do it, uh, that's bad news for you. That, that, that's not going to go well for you and I when we say no to this. We are commanded to forgive. Now, a, a, a second reason we're to forgive, and this is kind of why I told the story of Joseph, is, is folks, forgiving is a, is a form of faith. This is a part of the way we express faith in God. Hey, the hurt that somebody has done to us, if it's minor, kind of a daily thing that we, you know, we hurt each other do, or it's major, it's serious, it's huge, we live with this the rest of our lives. Hey, these things are real, aren't they? 
They're real. We feel them. We know them. We can see them. We can touch them. These are real deals that we're dealing with in what we need to forgive. But by faith, we take our eyes off of what we can see that is so real and we put our faith in God. You're not going to control my life. Your hurt and the wrong you've done to me is not going to control my life. God's in control of my life. That's where my faith is. That's what I'm resting on. Unless, of course, I choose to let you control my life by staying focused on you and the hurt you've done to me. Isn't it sad that we do that every single day? I bet if I asked, and we won't ask about ourselves because that's too convicting, right? Does anybody, don't raise your hands, anybody know anybody? You can see them doing this in their life. They've completely given their life over to that person that's hurt them. Man, yeah, I I bet every hand would go up in this room. We all know people who've done that. But I think, folks, Joseph would step off the pages of Genesis and say, hey, remember what it teaches in the New Testament? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And does not Joseph have the right to say to you and me, hey, sometimes it's in the dark places. Sometimes it's in the places of pain that we have our best opportunity to live out that faith that we have in God. That's why we are free. Just two reasons. Just to be clear, did you notice what number, reason number three was not? Say, wait a minute, how, how can you have a not number reason number three? Yeah, reason number three was not because they deserve it. Reason number four was not because they'll appreciate it. Reason number five was not because they'll change. You know, folks, when you think about it, when you, when you and I give our reasons for why we're not going to forgive, do you notice the, the first word in that sentence always begins with they? But folks, none of the reasons God's giving us has anything to do with they. It's about what's going on in our life. It's about what's going on in our heart. It's not about what they are doing. That's not the basis of forgiveness. So this is why we are to forgive. Because by faith, we're going to look at how big God is in our lives. Amen? And not how big the enemy thinks they are. Now, that's why we forgive. Now, how do we do that? I'm going to look at how in two different ways. The first way is kind of simple and direct and, and covers everything. How do we forgive? Number one, folks, we forgive like we want to be forgiven. Don't make that complex. It is simple as it sounds. We forgive like we want to be forgiven. You know, when we are thinking on the hard task, the hard work of forgiving, we usually forget, we usually do not think on the fact that we need to be forgiven, right? I mean, you and I, we, we, I hope we do, right? <laughs> we say our sorry to God. We say our sorry to our mate. Sometimes we have to say our sorry to a friend. Boy, isn't it awful when you have to say your sorry to an enemy? I mean, they're an enemy. They're always in the wrong. But sometimes actually, okay, in that moment, I was the one that was wrong. We have to say we're sorry. So when we say, I, want, I, I need to forgive like I want to be forgiven, what I need to do then is step back and think, okay, when I say I'm sorry to God or, or anybody else, when I say I'm sorry, what do I want them to do? I, folks, I actually encourage you to go home and make a list. Imagine yourself saying you're sorry to somebody. Okay, when I say I'm sorry, I want them to Oh, well, number one, I want them to say, yes, I forgive you, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you say, you're sorry, well, how do you want them to I want them to say, I forgive you. I want them, number two, I want them to, uh, I, I, I want them to let it go. I, I don't want them to punish me with it. I don't want them to bring it up three months from now, four months from now, a year from now, because that happens, doesn't it? 
No, when, I'm, when, I, when I say I'm sorry, I hope they do it. I, 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 I hope they don't bring it up again. I hope when I say I'm sorry that there's no consequences. Now, folks, truth be known, it, it, might, it might be better if I pay some consequences. If this has been an ongoing issue and, and I don't seem to be getting it, consequences might be exactly what's necessary. And I'm certainly not in control of whether there's consequences or not. But if you're asking me how I want to be forgiven, I mean, really, do you, no, you know, I want a whole bunch of consequences with my errors. No, I mean, if you're asking me when I'm forgiven, I'd like there to be no consequences. Okay, so you take your list, whatever it is, and you say, okay, now that's what should guide me as I seek to forgive them. And folks, everything I just said is not pop psychology. We have a little thing in the New Testament that Jesus said, I think we call it the golden rule. What is it? Do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. Forgive others in the same way that you want to be forgiven. That's how we forgive. This is not, this is not complex and detailed. Forgive them in the way you would want to be forgiven. The second way we forgive, second very important part of how is we need to pray. We need to pray because Jesus said, you know what? A regular part of your prayer life needs to be this whole forgiveness issue. Receiving and giving. Okay? Receiving it. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Line, 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 line. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. You heard me say a couple of weeks ago, that's not a line just to be recited. That line should then launch me into Several moments of praying about forgiveness. And notice where Jesus says to start. Start with the forgiveness you need. Start by telling God, hey, listen, I need to confess what I thought yesterday, what I said yesterday, what I, I did yesterday. Hey, Lord, I know I can be a little bit of a, a dull person sometimes. Is there ways I offended you I'm not even aware of? Lord, and, and, and just sit there for a moment and let him communicate what's between us. And hopefully in that process of confessing our sins, it softens our heart a little bit. It makes us a little bit humble. So then Jesus says, now, okay, now I want you to think about the debts against you. Hey, Lord, I know I'm really struggling with forgiving that person. Would you help? Would you guide? Would you provide? Maybe, maybe the prayer is, hey, Lord, I... I Am I in tune with all my resentment? <laughs> Am I in tune with my bitterness? Are, are, there, are there people, are there issues I need to go back and do? See, Jesus said, you need this whole thing about forgiveness. You need to pray about that. A second reason we need to make forgiveness, giving and receiving, uh, a, a part of our prayer life, a regular part of our prayer life, is because, folks, forgiveness is spiritual warfare. The Bible says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's circling your life is what the scripture is saying. The devil just circles your life. He circles your home. And do you know what the Bible says? It says it in the Old Testament. It says it in the New Testament. That the biggest avenue, not the only avenue, but the biggest avenue, the biggest front door into your life is anger. God says you ought to be so wary, so, so afraid of your own anger, you don't ever go to bed with it. He says you've got to deal with that. I mean, God's literally saying there, I've not created this machine, I've not created this body to carry anger around even for hours. You, you, you need to deal with it. When that's what's going on in you, your life is wide open to Satan. So folks, how do we handle spiritual warfare? By prayer. So imagine it this way. Okay, this is what's happening. You forgive somebody. 
And, and we're not even going to talk about whether they respond rightly or whether they don't respond rightly because either way this can happen. You forgive somebody, you forgive them just like God's told, or just like you would want to be forgiven. I mean, you're really, you're trying to do what God says. Kind of proud of yourself as a matter of fact. I forgave them. I did that. Whoo, I won this victory. And, and, and you move on and, and a week later, two weeks later, you're doing whatever. Peeling potatoes. And you're standing there and all of a sudden, it creeps back in. You say, what it? Resentment. Anger. Maybe fear. Maybe, maybe you heard something. Maybe something happened that brought the memory back. Maybe it just, boom, it just popped up. All of a sudden, you remember. All of a sudden, you're thinking on what has hurt you, what happened four weeks ago, a month. I mean, you dealt with it, but, but here it is. And it, boy, as you remembered, it's like it happened yesterday. It becomes so real and it becomes so big all over again. And you know what? This is, and it kind of goes back to last week. This is the tension I left us with last week when we're going through that. This is where a lot of us will say, man, I can't, I can't forgive. I'm failing. Oh my gosh, God's going to be mad at me. I'm in trouble. I, just, I can't do it. I can't. What if the problem's not you? What if what's happening in this moment is Satan is attacking you? Because that's what Satan does, right? And when you and I've been hurt, Satan has a great opportunity to come in and stir the memory stir the pot, bring that hurt back to life for you to get you angry because when he gets you angry, he can drag you down into his hate and he can own you. So obviously this is a way he's working. Obviously this is, this is what he's going to do. And in that moment and in prayer, we say, Satan, leave. My faith in my life is in the name of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus has forgiven me. And I cling to that. I hold on to that. You are not in control of my life. That person who hurt me is not in control of my life. Jesus is in control of my life. And he's going to use that. So you get out of here. And folks, when you and I are holding on to the name of Christ, when you and I are standing on the work of Christ, you know what Satan's going to do? He is going to leave to return another day. He will leave. He will leave. But folks, he ain't giving up on you. He wants to own you. He wants to drag you down into that hate. And so he'll come back next week. That's fine. You got it today. I'll be back next week. I'll be back. Remember, he prowls. You know what he's doing? Gosh, folks, this is... Why do I need to be in the Bible every day? Why do I need to be connected to God's people? Why do I need to be growing? Because Satan's watching you and he's waiting for the weak moment. And it feels good to feel strong, doesn't it? feels good to kind of be on top of things. But, but am I living in a way, preparing in a way for a weak moment? Because Satan's preparing for a weak moment. He's preparing for that weak moment in your life. And that's when he'll come in and stir the memory again. So folks, this is a prayer issue. And Satan often has a very easy path because there's a second issue that we need to deal with. You see, first I've already answered, how do we forgive? But now let's make it a little bit more specific. How do we forgive when the other person is not doing what they're supposed to do? How do we forgive when they're not sorry? Given another opportunity, they'll actually do it again. 
What do we do then? I'm going to give you three steps. Number one, pray. We're going to keep going back to prayer because prayer is where the victory is. Prayer is where this is going to be hammered out. We're going to pray for opportunity. We're going to pray for guidance. We're going to pray for help. We're going to pray God guards our heart because, folks, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're okay if things don't get better, aren't we? I mean, I mean to be honest with you, I'm absolutely okay with that tension between you and me. I'm really comfortable with looking at you and knowing we both hate each other just a little bit. I mean, folks, if we're honest, we, we can get that way, don't we? I don't, I don't want it to get better. I don't want it to get fixed. I'm very happy with the, hang, the anger and the hate. So, we, man, we've got to keep ourselves before God in prayer. Then the second thing we do is we need to follow Matthew 18, 15 through 17. I referred to this last week. Jesus gives us three steps. I think the three steps are primarily related to believer offending believer because the third step involves the church. But, folks, there's a reality here that some of our hurt's not in the church, right? Some of this, our hurt comes from somebody that's outside the church, not involved in the church, could care less what the church thinks or says. Some of it comes by unbelievers. Certainly they're not gonna say. And so I'm gonna do something. I don't think I've ever said this in the pulpit. I wanna take Jesus' three steps and lift them a little bit out of context. I wanna lift them out of the context in which Jesus spoke them because I think that Jesus' three steps are three principles we can absolutely apply anywhere and everywhere. First step, when somebody offends you, believer, unbeliever, in the church, out of the church, whatever, first step, go to them. Don't, don't go to all your friends, don't go to the phone, don't go to Facebook, go to them. It's amazing how often we can make things worse because every time we tell the story, the story gets worse. You might be telling the absolute truth, but you're adding adjectives and you're adding adverbs and it gets deeper and it gets more severe, which means you're, you're creating more of an inability for your heart to deal with the wrong that's been done to you. Go to the person. Hey man, let me tell you something. This is what I perceive happened. This is what I think is going on. I'm hurting. I'm struggling with, with how to handle this. What, can we work this out? Okay, now we're going to assume in all these things the answer is no, okay? Step number one, go to them. It doesn't work. Step number two, Jesus said, go get two people. Go get two people and go back and start all over again saying the exact same thing, but with these two people. Now, I would suggest, Jesus doesn't outline it quite this way, but I'm going to suggest that the two people you pick are not your two best friends who also hate that other person. Okay, because that ain't going to work. I'm going to tell you that right now. You, you, the goal would be to get two people that you are at least attempting that both of you would respect them. Both of you would see them as, as an unbiased mediator here. And then I would encourage you, go to those two people and say, man, could you help me out with the problem? I'm at odds over here with this. Would you come listen to us kind of talk through that and, and give some input and some direction and don't tell them what it's about? So that way, when you go to the other person with the two people, because at that point, his, def his or her defenses go up, right? And you can say to them, listen, I've asked them to come hear what's going on between us and give some direction. I have not told them what's happened. I did not want to slant them. I didn't want to get their thinking started in a certain way. They have a chance to hear from both of us equally and both of us respond at the exact same time. And then you start over. Now, could we try to work through this? Now, let's assume the answer is no. No, I, I'm not going to change. Then the third step is, now Jesus says this is where you go involve the church. If, you know, if there's a problem between you and you, the church here doesn't mean go, you know, find a day where all 2,500 of us can get together and hammer this out. 
Now, the, 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 when Jesus says, go and get the church, he said, go get some folks that, that can speak on behalf of the church. It might be the two people that you've already gotten, plus a Sunday school teacher and a deacon, plus a Sunday school teacher and a deacon and, and one of the pastors. But you go, you've got a group now that, that kind of can stand and speak on behalf of the church on, on how to handle this situation. If it's outside the church, then let's just substitute the word authority. Go get some kind of an authority in this situation. Might be a parent. It might be a boss. I, hard to imagine what else it might be outside of that. But but somebody that can speak with some kind of authority in that. You take them and you go through it all over again. These are the three steps we're to follow. The sad thing I said it last week. I, I so rarely see believers follow any of these three steps, and then we wonder why there's the tension and why things don't get fixed. Now, let's assume that those three steps do not correct the problem. Then the third step, and I think this is where ultimately our question comes. How do we keep forgiving? Because we said last week, love and forgiveness is not to enable sin. L love and forgiveness does not empower somebody to keep on going. So what do we do then? You know, I think Old and New Testament, there's a lot of ways that consequences are shown that, that actions for sin are shown for when somebody chooses to stay committed to sin, chooses to stay committed to wrong. But if I could use one word, I think that would sum it all up, it'd be the word withdraw. You, you then withdraw from the relationship. You withdraw the benefits of being in right and good relationship. Uh, now, even when we do that, folks, we got to guard our heart. We're not withdrawing. I mean, some of you right now are thinking, finally, that was the point I was looking for. So I don't have to forgive them ultimately, right? No, man, when I do this, do you know that in my heart there needs to be filled with love and a desire to get this thing solved? And what I'm hoping, what you're hoping, what we're hoping is that in that withdrawal, in the sting, the Scripture would actually say this, in the sting of rejection, in the sting of being left alone, they think, man, I've got, I can't do this. i got to stop. I've, I've got to change. I've got to get in, in God's way. So our goal in withdrawing is not punishment. It's reconciliation. Now here's the hard part about saying the third step is withdraw in a room this big with the limited time we have. Fleshing out that withdrawal is a pretty big deal. Because it's going to look very different based on the relationship. What does withdrawal look like in a marriage? What does withdrawal look like inside of a family? What does it look like with somebody you are kind of forced to relate with daily versus somebody you're only forced to relate with periodically? What does it look like? What does withdrawal look like when the person is maybe somebody over you versus the, a person that's somebody under you? What, what if it's a enemy versus a friend? I mean, you do flesh that out in some different ways. But the bottom line, the principle we're looking for is how do, I, how do I bring about a state where they cannot enjoy what a good relationship can give while I'm communicating love, while I'm communicating a readiness to forgive? How do I do that? How do I bring that about? And folks, even when we're, even when we're doing that, remember we're still trying to have faith in God. <laughs> We're still trying to believe that ultimately he is in control of our lives, not that person. We're still looking for reconciliation and restoration. You know, one of the... And Jesus has to deal with people, right? Who, who won't say they're sorry. Who, who continue on in their course of action. And, and I'm not saying this is the only word, but it is a word you see many, many times when Jesus is engaging with, with sinners. You know, you and I, we get comfortable saying the word sinners, right? That's what people are, we're sinners. 
When Jesus says sinner, he's saying this is a person who mocks me, a person who ignores me. This is a person who rejects what I've given them, who rejects the way of life I have for them. And, and throughout the Gospels, one of the most common words he used, compassion. Compassion. That, that's the word he has for this person that is enslaved in sin and locked in sin. Now, compassion does not mean that ultimately, oh, it just doesn't really matter. You know, some of these, maybe many of these, he ultimately will judge. Some of these, maybe many of these, will, will ultimately end up in hell. But you know the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in that? God, there, you know, some of us, we kind of imagine, well, God grabbed them by the back of the net. When they hit the bottom of hell, there's a big thud. You no, know, God, God has a thought like that at all. That's a thought we would have. God doesn't think that way. He's not thinking about, boy, that person has it coming and I can't wait to give it to them. As a matter of fact, what we see in the life of Christ is this person that is rebelling and rejecting. How can I free him from that sin? How can I free them from the consequences of that sin? And, and folks watching Christ, that, that's, kind of, that's what we're aiming at. That's our target for how we do this. We're ultimately, our desire, our prayers, all the way to the end is for reconciliation, not judgment. So folks, when we move to bring about consequences for somebody who's not changing, somebody who's continuing, man, we gotta be, we gotta be careful, we gotta be prayerful, and we gotta be hopeful in how we do that. You know, folks, there is, this is gonna sound strange, especially after after last week, there is a beauty in struggling to forgive. Because in that, don't we see how incredible God is? I mean, why would we act like our rejection, our rebellion affects God any way than people's rejection and rebellion against us makes us feel? And yet God, God can be perfectly kind and perfectly severe at the exact same moment. God can be perfectly gracious and perfectly wrathful at the exact same moment. I can't. Neither can you. I don't believe we ever will on this side of heaven. But that's our target. That, that's what we're aiming at as we choose to forgive. And, and folks, perhaps when we struggle to sin... It's not because we're rebelling against God. I don't, I don't want to take away the question and the challenge of last week. But folks, it's not a sin to struggle. It's not a sin to have a thought enter your mind. It's not a sin to have an emotion well up inside you. The sin is if you nurse that thought. The sin is if you nurse that emotion. The sin is if you act on it. You act out on it. But if that thought, that emotion leads you to pray, then you've not sinned there. What you have done is realize how challenging this work of God is for you and me. And then you realize, but he, he overcame that challenge in forgiving me. And his forgiveness is, is awesomely perfect and, and beautiful and, and incredible. And, and maybe that's what gives us the motivation to wake up tomorrow and try again. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I, I would imagine there's some in this room, some out at the theater, that we're not carrying something huge today. We're not overwhelmed by the hurt 
that others can bring. I, man, I hope that's the case for a lot of folks. Whether that, that kind of sin against them has never happened or maybe it happened, but through you they have faithfully and successfully dealt with it. Lord, I'm also sure that there are some in this room that are carrying a lot of hurt today. Whether it was recent, whether it was long ago in the past, whether it was somebody close or an enemy from a distance, man, there's a, there's a hurt there and there's a pain there. Lord, I pray that this moment right here, we begin to take some steps that bring finally healing to that. Reconciliation with that. Whether it be actual fixing the problem with the person, or whether just resolving this issue in our heart. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each person in this room. Maybe it's something they heard in the sermon today, last week. Maybe, maybe it's something they didn't hear at all, but you just begin to speak it to them right now. I pray any person in here that is hurting, you would guide them in the step they're to take next in bringing reconciliation and peace to this, this hurt this severity in their lives. Maybe, Lord, even as I'm praying, they just want to come kneel at this altar and leave that with you. A, an act of saying, this is no longer going to control my life. I'm leaving it at your feet and you will be in control of life. The one who loves me and the one who's so good. Maybe we just want to come to this altar in prayer. Maybe, maybe in a moment when the pastors are here, you, you want to come forward and ask this pastor to pray with you about this hurt that you're carrying and ask God to just begin moving and leading and working in a way that healing comes. Maybe you're here today and the truth be known, you don't have the power in you to forgive because you've not been born again. God's not living in you. The power to forgive is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in relationship with Him. God, God hasn't called us to give what we don't have. God calls us to give what we've received Maybe you're here today, you can't give it because you've never received His forgiveness for you. Today needs to be the day you come forward taking a step of faith. Tell one of these pastors, I want to come into relationship with Christ and receive God's forgiveness. Have Him come to life in you. Maybe you're in a strong moment or in a weak moment, but you, you want a moment, you, you want a life that is strong and prepared for people's hurts and Satan's attacks. And you know that God's recipe for that is being connected to His church. Maybe you need to use this moment to come forward and say, hey, I want to be a member here at the Heights. I want to belong to what God is doing here. Lord, a lot of lives, a multiplicity of hurts. What's the step that each one needs to take? Is it, is it just obeying you in that one line in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors? making this whole issue of forgiveness a regular part of our prayer lives. Guide us, Lord, now in what we need to do in this moment. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.